Well, it's good to see each of you again this morning. I would ask you to turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of Genesis, chapter 41. I just love the pictures and types of Christ found in the Old Testament Scriptures. Paul said in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. The Old Testament is about Christ, all about Him. Now let me catch you up to what's going on here in Genesis chapter 41. As you probably remember, Pharaoh had two dreams that troubled him greatly, and none of his so-called spiritual advisors could interpret those dreams or tell him what they meant. Then God providentially, after two full years, we're told in verse 1, brings to remembrance of Pharaoh's chief butler, a man named Joseph, who had interpreted his dreams in prison. So Pharaoh calls for Joseph, and Joseph interprets his dreams, and he tells Pharaoh about the seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And Joseph then gave Pharaoh advice on what he needed to do to preserve his nation and to keep his people alive. Then in verse 38 of our text here in Genesis chapter 41, Pharaoh asked this question, and it's the title of my message. I'm not good at giving titles. I usually let someone else (laughs) title them, but I do have one for this. And his question here is, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? Now, that's a good question. That is the question that we ask in our preaching. Can you find such a one as this? And how interesting and appropriate that the name Joseph means increase. Uh, In preaching, we plant and we water, but it's God that giveth the increase. It's Christ, who is God, that giveth the increase. And so my question is, have you found such a one as this? Now, in order to be redeemed, we must proclaim and possess a substitute, a savior, and a sacrifice for sin. First, it must be a a man. It must be a man to redeem fallen men and women, but not just any man. It's got to be a perfect man. The Scripture is very clear. It must be perfect to be accepted. God won't accept anything less than perfection. Well, that leaves me in a heap of trouble. I can't, I've never had a perfect thought, never done anything uh, that wasn't influenced by sin. It's got to be perfect, a perfect man. It's got to be a man that is perfectly holy, perfectly just, Perfectly righteous. God will accept nothing less than perfection. And that's our dilemma. We cannot provide what God requires. 
So the question of all question is, can you find such a man as this? Can you find such a substitute, such a savior, such a sacrifice as this? Well, you're going to have to in order to be saved. Now, please understand that Pharaoh wasn't asking his servants to to search uh, the kingdom to find such as one as this. What Pharaoh's doing here is he's pointing to Joseph, <laughs> and he's saying, "Can you find such?" A one is this, a man in whom the Spirit of God dwells. And that's what we do in our preaching. We point to Christ and we ask that question, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? <laughs> that's the question of all questions. Is there such a one as this? Such a one as him? Well, there's none like him, I can tell you that. He's the only one who can save you from your sin. Now look at uh, verse 39. It says, And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Now that word discreet there in the Hebrew means separate. It means distinguished. It means diligent. Not discreet as we Thank Verse 40, Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. Now, does that sound like someone you know? It's amazing how Joseph pictures Christ. Um, John... Um, Arthur Pink and his uh, writings of gleaning of Genesis, I think, found over well over a hundred um, instances and pictures. I forget exactly how many, but uh, amazing. He more so than anyone else in the Old Testament. Joseph pictures our Lord and Savior. Verse forty-one. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, "See, I've set thee over all the land of Egypt." And Pharaoh took. Uh, off his ring from his hand, and he put it on Joseph's hand, and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck, and he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried before him, Bow the knee, and he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Now, just in reading those few verses, we see that Joseph is a beautiful picture and type of our Lord and Savior. And as I said, more so than anyone else in the Old Testament Scriptures. Look at verse 45. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath I'm, I'm glad that uh, my name's David. Two syllables. Gary. Hey, James. Just one syllable. Zaphnath Paeonia. And he gave him to wife Asenath and the daughter, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Now, the name Zaphnath Paeonia was an Egyptian name. And if you have a marginal Bible, you may notice that it's translated a revealer of secrets. 
Joseph was a revealer of secrets, no doubt, as he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. But I was thinking as I read that, the Lord Jesus Christ is not only the revealer, but he's the revelation. (laughs) And aren't we thankful? In the Egyptian language, this Egyptian name is said to mean Savior of the world, uh, he who has bread and famine. As I said last night, names in the Scripture mean something. And again, what a picture of our Lord. Did you notice there in verse 45 that Pharaoh gave Joseph a wife? Her name is Asenath. And uh, Asenath means peril. It means danger. It means pitfall. It means I shall be hated. The bride Pharaoh gave Joseph, well, she was an Egyptian. She was a woman of the world. She was the daughter of a priest or a prince named Potiphera. And Potiphera means afflicted. So we see that Asenath was an unworthy bride. She served a false god. She worshipped an idol. She was the daughter of a priest whose name means afflicted. She's a picture of all of us by nature before Christ makes us holy and makes us without spot and blemish and takes us as his bride. Notice also in verse 45 that Pharaoh gave Joseph this wife before Joseph ever started his work in Egypt. I know you see the picture there. God gave Christ a bride, a wife. He gave her to him before the foundation of the world, before Christ ever came to do his great work of redemption. God had already given him him a bride to redeem. Christ's bride is like Asenath in the sense that she is one who has experienced great peril. She is one who by the pitfall of sin has fallen into great danger. Christ's bride was of the world, which Egypt very well represents in pictures in the Scriptures. She was the natural fallen daughter of Adam. Adam had once been the prince of Eden, but he fell into sin. But because of his fall, and he, he had been terribly afflicted by sin, and so were all his children that followed. Look at verse 46. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. In Luke chapter 3, we read, When the Holy Spirit descended like a dove upon the Lord Jesus Christ, a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the Scripture tells us that Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age. Just another one of those pictures that Joseph is of Christ. Look at uh, verse uh, 46. It tells us that Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. And did not our Lord Jesus uh, go out from the presence of his father to do a work of redemption in the the God-forsaken Egypt of a world of sin? Now, little is said about the first 30 years of our Lord's life uh, after his birth and the blessing that Simeon gave him. There's just basically one brief story of our Lord at the age of 12 in the temple where he confounded all those 
to whom he spoke, yet the minute Christ came out of the waters of baptism, being baptized by John the Baptist, we're told that the Father is well pleased with his Son, just as Pharaoh was well pleased with Joseph. Look at verse 37. After all that Joseph told Pharaoh, we read, and the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants. Christ went out from the presence of his father. Why? Well, there was a a work that he alone must do. He's the only one that could do it. And this was a work that only he could do. He would have to appease the law of God without any assistance from above. You see, as a man, Christ would have to work out a perfect righteousness for his people. As a substitute, he would have to die and shed his blood to pay the sin debt of the guilty sinners that God gave him. As a sacrifice, he would have to satisfy the justice of God that was against his elect. How? By being made sin for him. Only way he could be. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Forever presenting them righteous with his righteousness. The very righteousness of God. I heard Brother Henry say one time, he said, when God looks at me, he sees his son. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Why? Because I have on his perfect righteousness. We stand faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, Jude one twenty four. And as a Savior, Christ was and is both just and justifier of those that believe in him. God's law cannot be uh, compromised. It's, it's got to be uh, fulfilled. It's got to be every T has to be crossed, every I has to be dotted in God's law. If you offend in one um, aspect of the law, you've, you've broken the whole law. The law has to be kept perfectly. My, none could be saved because the law was weak in the flesh, and that's our flesh. We can't keep the law. We can't keep one aspect of it, not perfectly, but the Lord Jesus did. And that's how he's both just, God's justice is not compromised, and he's justifier. He's the one that saves us by his grace. My, what a gospel this is. What a Savior we have. Now, in verse 37, we see that Joseph was 30 years old when he went throughout the land of Egypt, preparing and putting all things in order. And uh, as I'm alluded to, God's word says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, and Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh to do the work Pharaoh determined him to do to save his people. And Christ went out from the presence of his father to do his ordained work of saving those that God gave him. Now let's read a few more verses here. Verse 47. And in the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth by handfuls 
And he, speaking of Joseph, gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt, and he laid up the food in the cities, the food of the field, which was round about every city, laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea, very much, until he left numbering, for it was without number. I was thinking, in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. His mercy and His grace is without number, boundless. Can't exhaust it. Is there mercy still reserved for me? You better believe there is. You better believe there is. And it was God's purpose to bring Joseph to the throne. And Christ is set down now at the right hand of God, on the throne of God, as God. Now, just for a few minutes, I want you to try to uh, imagine yourself or put yourself in Joseph's place. Uh, do you remember his story? Do you remember his road to the throne? Uh, how would you feel if your own brothers hated you so much that they sold you into slavery? They wanted to kill you. And uh, out of envy and hatred... Your own flesh and blood, without a cause, threw you into a pit without water. (laughs) Would you believe that the Lord was behind it? Would you believe that the Lord had caused it? Would you believe that the Lord was in it? How would you have felt if your own family had sold you into slavery for 20 pieces of silver? Um, I'd tried my best to figure out how much that would be in today's money. I think it's about 200 bucks. <laughs> my, my. Thought I was worth more than that. Would you grumble and complain? Hmm? Would you feel sorry for yourself? I know I would. I'm pretty good at that. What if you had been falsely accused of rape in Potiphar's house? You remember that? I'm sure Joseph was a fine-looking man, and Potiphar's wife just threw herself at him, and he had no part of it. He was accused, She accused him of rape because of that. Do you think if that had been you that you might have thought, well, what did I do to deserve this? I know I would have. I didn't do what Miss Potiphar accused me of doing. Would you have defended yourself? Joseph didn't. And because he didn't, he was thrown into prison. (laughs) Well, what about in the prison? Well, I recently saw one of those shows on television. There's several of them. uh, Lock up and 30 days in and... I watched it uh, for a bit, and it was just amazing as they interviewed these inmates. uh, Every uh, inmate that they interviewed was innocent, according to the inmate. But Joseph really was innocent. Friends, Christ was innocent, but he became guilty for his elect. Isn't that amazing? He had to become guilty in order to redeem us who were guilty. It's called substitution. It's the heart of the gospel. David, you've been preaching that, what, over 50 years. 
Christ and Him crucified. That's our message. That's substitution. Even some who are falsely sent to prison think, well, God can't be in this. Bad things don't happen to good people. Have you heard that one? Oh, yes, they do. And besides that, there's none that doeth good. No, not one. People say God's too good to do that. God loves sinners too much. That's the devil's work. God wouldn't do such a thing. Really? He did to Joseph. I can assure you that Joseph wanted out of prison. He didn't want to be locked up in a dungeon, or he would have never asked the butler to remember him. He interpreted that butler's dreams, and that butler comes back into good favor with Pharaoh, and Joseph said, remember me. And as we just read there in verse 1 a few minutes ago, he, for two years, didn't even mention it. Just went on about his business. He's back in good graces with Pharaoh doing what he does. Never even give a second thought to Joseph. Joseph didn't want to be in prison any more than you and I would. Uh, I can speak from a little experience on that matter right now. I have a son that's in prison. And I can assure you that he doesn't want to be there. Then on top of all that, the butler forgot about him for two years. Now, knowing me, do you know what I would have said? All that I did for that stinking butler, and he does me like that. Or how about this one? Have you ever said this concerning a former employer or maybe a present employer? Why, he's where he is today because of me. But we never read anywhere in this passage that Joseph murmured. We're never told that he complained. He never charged God foolishly. He quietly submitted to the divine purpose and providence of God as the first cause of all things. He is. He's the first cause of all things. Joseph accepted his destiny as being according to the sovereign will and purpose of God Almighty. Now listen, the providence of God is not always pleasant. It's just not. It's not especially to our flesh. When Joseph was in the pit, he didn't know that one day he'd be in the palace. When Joseph was serving under Potiphar, he didn't know that one day he would rule over Potiphar. When Joseph was sitting in that dungeon, he didn't know that one day soon he'd be sitting on the throne. How beautiful is the sovereign providence of God. May God enable us to never murmur nor complain, for we don't know what the Lord has in store. I know this much, as I endeavored to tell you last night, he's out to do us good if we belong to him. For Christ's sake, Joseph's road to the throne was by the way of hatred, by the way of a waterless pit, by the way of slavery, by the way of prison. 
I've always found it easy to believe Romans 8.28 when everything's going well. All things work together for the good of them that love the Lord who are the called according to His purpose. All when things are good. That's easy to believe. But it's much, much more difficult to acknowledge and accept when all that we're experiencing is trials and troubles and tribulations. And that's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Oh, may God be pleased to make us faithful like Joseph. (laughs) Even in times of affliction. Easy to believe God when everything's going well. But what about when you're hated without a cause? How about when you're in the pit of despair? How about when you're falsely accused? How about when you're in the dungeon of depression? Do you believe then that God is the first cause of everything? Well, He is. God, please enable us to quit fretting and being upset over the second causes in life. It's just not worth it, is it, Gary? The second causes are really nothing more than means, just resources in the hand of God to accomplish His sovereign will and purpose. How often we let second causes steal our joy. Oh, I'm the the most guilty of all. Uh, I was a nervous wreck coming over here today because I'm like, I'm going to be late. I have dreams about stuff like that. You're preaching somewhere and you're late or you get there and you realize you forgot your Bible or your notes and you have dreams like that, David. Man, oh man. <laughs> oh my. Oh, we let the second causes rob us of our peace and our comfort. Whether they're people, whether they're places, whether they're things or situations. They're just second causes. God's behind them all. Now, I want to spend what time I have left thinking upon the subject of the need of a sinner to come to Christ. I mean, that's that's the issue, really, in, in the gospel. I'm still coming to Christ. Every hour of every day, I'm coming to Him, following Him. Look at uh, verse uh, 53. And the seven years of plentiness that was in the land of Egypt were ended, and the seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said. And the dearth was in all lands, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. (laughs) What a picture we have of this world spiritually. You know, there's a famine in the land. Um, did you notice in verse 54, dearth was in all lands? That word dearth means hunger. Hunger in all lands. Um, but in the land of Egypt, there was, there was bread. You know, there's a spiritual famine in New Caney, Texas. Oh, there are churches on every corner. But there's a spiritual famine. Not a famine of bread nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord, Amos said, Amos 8, 11. Yet there's still bread. 
at Sovereign Grace Church, Lincolnwood Baptist Church. They're still bread. Verse 55, And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph. <laughs> Go unto Joseph, what he saith to you do. <laughs> when Egypt was famished, do you see what happened? They cried unto Pharaoh for bread. That's, that's the same thing that happens when God causes a sinner to hunger and thirst spiritually. They'll cry unto God for bread. Not until. When God shows you that you, without any ability to feed yourself, you're starving to death. My, my, you'll cry unto God for bread. Every nation in the vicinity of Egypt cried unto Pharaoh for bread. And do you know what Pharaoh said unto all of them? Look at it again in verse 55. He said, go unto Joseph. <laughs> go unto Joseph. No one's going to eat unless it's by Joseph's hand. Whatever Joseph says to you, do. Pharaoh set him over the land of Egypt. Verse 41, Joseph wore the king's ring. You know, those rings had signets on them, and the king would take that and stamp his approval upon something, and it was law when he did that. That ring was on Joseph's head. His will was sealed with the signet of the king's ring. You better do what Joseph said. He had the power by royal decree. None had better murmur nor complain against Joseph. And Pharaoh hear it. To complain against Joseph was to complain against Pharaoh. And if you valued, valued your life, you didn't complain or speak against Pharaoh. If you come to Pharaoh for food, you're going to have to get it from Joseph. If you're, you're going to have to bow to him. You see where I'm going with this, don't you? None can lift a hand or foot in Pharaoh's kingdom without the permission of Joseph in verse 44. How much more, dear friends, is that true concerning the kingdom of God? How much more so concerning the Lord Jesus Christ? Thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. John 17, 2. And Christ said, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Joseph had power over all Egypt. Christ has power over all flesh. We're going to have to come to him. We're going to have to bow to him. He's over everything in heaven and everything in earth. It pleased Pharaoh to give all this authority to Joseph. And it pleased the Father that in Christ should all fullness dwell. All fullness, all of it, all that God requires, all that the sinner needs, all righteousness, all obedience, all justice, all godliness, all holiness, all submission, all that God commands of men and women, Christ has the fullness of it. He provides for me every single thing that God requires of me. Why would I turn my back on such a one as this? 
I need repentance. Well, it's the goodness of God that in Christ that leadeth men to repentance, Romans 2, 4. I need righteousness. Well, he was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I need forgiveness. He said, though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. My sin. My sin. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I need healing. Friends, by his stripes we're healed. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ. All of it. Physical life was found in knowing where who to go to. Joseph, go to Joseph, whatever he says, do. But spiritual life is knowing who to go to, and God told us who it is. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. And if I'm in him, God's well pleased with me. Verse 56, and the famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses. Spiritual famines all over the face of this earth, and only Christ can open the storehouses of God's grace. That's what he did to me. That's what he did to you. We're taught of God, aren't we? He initiates it. We love him because he first loved us. The Lord Jesus said, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. I don't know how men can believe in a free will with verses like that in the Bible. Do you? How? We love him because he first loved us. <laughs> You've not chosen me, I've chosen you. My, my. You know, the gospel's not hard to understand. Just men hate it. That's the bottom line. Joseph was a fit king to open the storehouses. After all, he planned them, and he built them, and he filled them. He saw the work through, and Christ is a fit king to open the storehouses of God's mercy and grace to sinners such as you and I. As God, he planned them. As God, he purposed them. And as the God-man, he filled them. He finished the work the Father gave him, and when he did, he cried, it's finished. <laughs> we recently uh, studied through the book of Exodus. We went through the book of Genesis first at home. It took us four years. We didn't get in any hurry. We just basked in the glory of it all. It's just a gospel everywhere. But, you know, in, in the tabernacle in the wilderness, there wasn't any seats. No seats in all the furniture of the tabernacle. You know why? Because the high priest, the priest's job was never done, never finished. Christ said it's finished. And he sat down on the right hand of God. And he ever maketh intercession for us. My, my. Verse 56, I'll wrap up. Joseph opened the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians. <laughs> Listen, Pharaoh made some money off this deal. Don't you think for a minute he didn't? 
That corn wasn't free. Matter of fact, he bartered for cattle and everything. He come out multiple times richer than he was going in. Christ, by his own sacrifice and own substitution, he opened the storehouses, as I said, of God's love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. But our Lord says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy, eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Isaiah 55 1. Well, how can you buy without money? Really only two ways. Only if it's free or if it's charged to someone else's account. <laughs> Last uh, couple summers ago, I guess it was, Teresa and I cleaned out our garage. Uh, man, what a chore that is. And I had a couple things that I didn't use anymore uh, that were too good to throw away. So I called my son-in-law and I said, hey, I've got a pressure washer over here I'm not using and something else. Uh, would you uh, come and get them? Would you be interested in them? And he said, yeah, yeah. He said, I'll pay you for them. And I said, no, you can't buy them. <laughs> They're not for sale. They're free. Leave your money at home. Why? Because I didn't have a price on them. Not for sale. They were free. There's, there's no price on a gift. That's the point I'm trying to make. It's free. Free. You and I can't purchase what Christ has to give. Because it's free. It's free. It's sovereign grace in Him. Are you hungry? <laughs> Look at the last part of 56. And the famine waxed sore. It grew worse in the land of Egypt. And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn because that the famine was so sore in all lands. How many of the countries came into Egypt to buy corn? All of them. Who did they come to buy corn from? Joseph. God saves men and women out of every nation, kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation. But in order for them to be saved, they're going to have to come to Christ. It's the only way. No man cometh to the Father but by me. I'm the way, I'm the true, and I'm the life. Truth and I'm the life. Now, look at chapter 42, verse 1. You should be right there close. Now, when Jacob saw, now that's Joseph's father. Now, when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, there was no corn anywhere else, just the corn that was in Egypt. And Jacob said unto his sons, why do you look one upon another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. Hear me on this if you don't hear anything else. The gospel is a matter of life and death. We're not playing games here. This is serious, serious business. Matter of life and death. Eternal life and death. In order to have physical life, all who were hungry and starving had to go down to where the corn was. You're going to have to come to where Joseph is. And I mean to be redundant on this. 
to have spiritual life, you're going to have to come to where the living bread and the water of life are. And it's always a trip downward. (laughs) Did you notice that? Get you down to Egypt. You're going to have to come to where the gospel's preached. You're going to have to come down to hear it. You're going to have to get off your high horse. (laughs) And what is the good news? What is the gospel? There's corn in Egypt. (laughs) There's a bread in this world, friends. And that bread is Christ. He's the living bread. Our Lord said, I'm the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger again. Never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. No man cometh to the Father but by me, as I said a moment ago. If you're going to live, if you're going to have life eternal, somehow, some way, you're going to have to get to Christ. The storehouses of mercy found in his hand. So, let me ask you in closing, are you in a pit without water? Are you serving this world in Potiphar's house? Are you in a dungeon of deception and depression? Do you feel as though God's forgotten you? Just maybe God is bringing you to Christ. So speaking of Him, let me ask you just one last question. Can you find such a one as this? I've done my best to try to point you to Him this morning. He's the only one that fits this bill. A man in whom the Spirit of God dwells without measure. Can you find such a one as Jesus Christ? Well, let me leave you with something just wonderful and incredible. Let me go out on a high note. If you truly desire to be forgiven for your sin, He's already found you. Isn't that right? He's already found you. Thank God for His beloved Son.